I'm starting to get into the Halloween spirit, even though it's not even fucking October yet. But I've been oh, watching dude. like close enough. Close enough. I haven't brushed up on my YouTube ghost sightings and like EVP recordings and stuff and there <laughs> and like cryptid cryptid sightings and there's some yeah good ones. Have y'all seen the one that's like a Colorado person with like a Dobby kind of elf preacher going by the camera and he's basically doing the chicken kind of thing, but he like <laughs> No. No. <laughs> terrifying it's very scary have you seen those fresno ghosts like the fresno walkers they basically Mm -hmm. look like a giant rubbery horseshoe with little feet and they just kind of like oh yeah i have i've seen those videos where there's like a couple of them and they're just like they're goofy yeah they look like muppets like straight up (laughs) yeah yeah they look exactly like a muppet that's scary Mm -hmm. well and then there was you hear they canceled fucking dark crystal we did hear that yeah really why I like, don't know. Too, too, too costly that was probably for a lot of really great or? jobs for, for people. Yeah, it was like, I was so looking forward to another Me one. Me too. I'm thought, so upset. Yeah. God damn. They, did they give a reason why they... No, and like they won an Emmy like the day before they announced the cancellation. Well, maybe that'll... Maybe it'll return yeah, to Yeah, hopefully decisions. someone will pick it up. Disney, I'm looking at you. <laughs> yeah, dude, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then Disney looks at you with its yellow, horrifying eyes. <laughs> <laughs> with the Necronomicon. Yeah. You dare tell me what to do. Barrel of a rusty shotgun. That's Disney right there. boy. Well, anyway, welcome to Under the Pendulum. I'm Chris Weber. Here with the two spookiest ladies in the land. It's Heather Weber. Hello. And Caitlin Weber. Hello. Yes. <laughs> yes, welcome. <laughs> also, Disney, if you want to hire me, I am Caitlin Weber at LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't mean the things I just I said about Disney. They're very great. Sire. Excellent company. Great company. Yep. So, Mickey. <laughs> So we got a long script to get to uh, get okay. through, so okay. I guess we'll get started here. Random. I tried to shorten it, but I, it, there's so it much though. Long again. Yes. I don't I know. I, yeah, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot of history. That's, that's crazy. crazy shit we about to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> <laughs> so today we'll be discussing uh, Bethlehem Royal Hospital, or as it's known, Bedlam Asylum. So, Kate, had you heard of Bedlam before? Well, I I did a little brushing up right before, um, you know, mm. kind of like trying to get all my shit in and like get my paper in when it's, you know, last minute kind of thing. That's how I felt. <laughs> I was like flashbacks <laughs> to college when I'm watching YouTube videos to try to like brush up on, the, you know, <laughs> Ottoman Empire. But <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah, I like the first thing that popped in my head is when some, you know, British dude in, in an old movie that's like the absolute bedlam, you know, like that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like people kept mentioning in all of the little crazy YouTube videos I was watching, um, you know, really scholarly sources here, but uh, <laughs> just talking about how that's constantly, uh, uh, it's now um, an adjective for disorder or craziness yeah. kind of mm-hmm. thing. So that's part yeah. of the lexicon now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And Heather, had you heard um, a lot about this before doing the episode or? No, I hadn't heard a lot about it. Like I had heard of it and 
I kind of knew that the word bedlam came from, you know, the asylum. But uh, beyond that, b- besides knowing it was a horrible place, I didn't know, like, how long it had been around for, like, a- actually how bad it was. Um, yeah, I had really no idea just besides a very small knowing about it. Yeah, I've been, I'm in the same boat as you. I, I, I knew it existed, but I didn't know the details. And I, and I was very surprised about how long um, it had been around, but you know, yeah. we'll get to that. So, yeah. So I guess, you know, when we talk about the history of asylums, you know, it's very fascinating and, and terrifying to think about, you know, because we hear tales and records of horrible patient conditions, abuse, torture, suicide, and even murder in some cases. Um, and asylums have kind of entered that collective human consciousness as a place of madness and horrors. And on the heels of this mass collection of like human suffering, insanity, and death, we have ghost stories. Not too many, though. Like, I was shocked mm-hmm. at, at the absolute lack of ghost stories because this place had been around for so long. Oh, God. But it's got to have yeah. some fucking awful ghost stories, like, so scary. Well, and I think we'll find that the sort of transient nature of the hospital it being moved around so many times mm-hmm. that might that might keep, you know, from more ghost stories and more ghost experiences being like out there um, since, you know, like the oldest building's gone, you know, the other building's oh. gone. But but like, you know, but the but it, it just got moved around, though. It was still yeah. the same hospital run by the same people. Well, mostly by the same people for a long time. Wow. We got a real poltergeist situation going on. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. You moved the headstones, but you didn't move the bodies. You didn't move the bodies. I mean, and that'll come <laughs> up, I'm sure, from from your 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 research about <laughs> <laughs> about like when they exhume some of the grounds of some of the old um sites of the hospitals. Mm-hmm. I don't know history and stuff but yeah it, it's all that's interesting the stuff. burial grounds they found yes that's yeah. it i don't want to ruin it but yeah it's just <laughs> no it's okay <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll leave it at that for now um yeah we'll yeah. talk about that in a little bit but um you know we get bedlam from this linguistic variation that happens because it, it was you know it was called the bethlehem hospital you know and then it gets to bethlehem and then it kind of turns to bedlam so it's like these linguistic variations that happen um and Going then ultimately Yep, you're going to Bedlam. And uh, (laughs) so, yeah, Bedlam, you know, as you guys said, would kind of become a new word and idea on its own, um, a term that denotes a chaotic and confused uproar or, you know, as a madness, as it were. Yeah. So in this episode, we'll discuss the long history of Bedlam, some of the abuses and treatments the patients had to endure, and we'll hear some ghost stories and experiences from one of the oldest asylums in the Western world. And... We're inevitably going to leave out a lot of complicated political, social, and bureaucratic nuances, Mm -hmm. but uh, we are trying to cover almost 800 years of history in an episode. Wow. So um, apologies in advance for anything I leave out or I reduce for simplicity. Yeah. We're just going to give the gory details, you know? For sure. That's what you're here for. It's interesting because, like, I I, I don't think I know of any specific um, asylum that's pre- 1900 because i'm also under the assumption that every single one of them the conditions were fucking awful i'm i'm sure that yeah especially what we're talking about the 1700s what 18th century oh, i mean well long before I'll, that too I'll, I'll get i'll get to the big reveal here but um you know but mental illness was like you know written about 2000 bc 
True. But, you know, we, we didn't get, like, institutions until the medieval ages. So, like, you know, around the 1200, we have actual, like, institutions for, like, mentally ill. And it was oh, such a broad right. spectrum that, like, even having depression could be considered insanity. Mania, or, or, like, yeah. Illness. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Mania comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, well, I guess you guys are ready to get into it. Oh, you know it. Cha. <laughs> So the Priory of St. Mary of Bethlehem, as it was originally called, was founded in 1247 CE. Wow. Damn, right? Jesus. Wow. So we're talking about the time of the Crusades. Yeah, that's that's, crazy. that's way older than I ever imagined. Yeah, I was I was blown away. I was like, holy fucking shit. That's like it just that that just was way farther back than I had even imagined. Yeah. Um, Me too. You know, I'm going to definitely try to censor how many times I say that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Poor choice of words, Kate. I know, I know. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? So then he started writing and eating with his own shit. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the madness. Oh, gar, gar, gar. That's crazy. So- <laughs> So, Crusader and two-time Sheriff of London, Simon Fitzmary, uh, he donated a plot of land in Bishop's Gate, which is located in the east of London, um, along mm-hmm. the uh, East London Wall. So, the London Wall was uh, erected in the during Roman invasion um, to help protect okay. the city of London. So, they actually maintained those Roman walls, like those Roman fortress walls, um, well into like the like 1800s i think Mm -hmm. wow wow yeah so that's crazy so you'll be hearing me mention walls a lot well not a lot every once in a while um but anyway so he he donated this plot of land in bishop's gate for the erection of an almshouse which would act as a house of charity for the poor and sick so this almshouse would also collect donations to help fund the crusades which were (laughs) you know the religious wards being fought in the middle east to take the holy land for western christendom no priorities. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, there's a whole like weird political history behind that, but you know we'll, yeah. we'll skip that. It's a little too, too crazy. Anyway, <laughs> so the but the story with Fitzmary goes that um. <laughs> I know it's hard. It's hard not. To I say. didn't mean it. It's hard not I know. To say. We should start screaming every time. <laughs> <laughs> like the word of the day. Yeah. <laughs> 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 So the the story with Fitzmary goes that um, while he was fighting in the Crusades, he became lost in enemy territory. Um, And he looked up to the night sky and he saw the Star of Bethlehem, also known as the Christmas Star, which some people say never actually existed. And um, so he followed it. (laughs) Yep. No. So Fitzmary arrived back at his camp safe, and then this kind of began began a lifelong veneration for Saint Mary and the Star of Bethlehem. Hence, why the almshouse is named after them. I see. So, you know, although Fitzmary donated the land, Italian Bishop of the Church of Bethlehem, uh, Bishop Goffredo de Prefetti, I hope I said that right. Yeah, that sounds right. Goffredo. Um, but he, <laughs> he actually he actually founded the actual almshouse. So it was like Fitzmary huh. just donated the land and, you know, just said, I just I want an almshouse to be erected. Uh, but Fitz, uh, sorry, Prefetti actually built it. But uh, Fitzmary had the land. Yes, yeah, he donated. On. He donated the land. Yep. Okay. De Perfetti, uh, he quote built it directly on top of a sewer that frequently overflowed. Oh. So good start. 
Well, I I mean, I kind of that kind of sums it all up, doesn't it? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. It's oh, just going to be God. fucking filled with shit. Yeah, yep. it's like the most the undesirable with the undesired land, you know, covered in shit. That's crazy. Just stick the crazies there. For sure. And I'm sure that even went to like people that were horribly deformed as well. Like I know that they were housed in churches and stuff too. Yeah, I mean, like, it, well, the church wouldn't start out that way, um, or the almshouse wouldn't start out that way. Uh, you know, the original idea was to take in and care for those who were poor, sick, or had nowhere to go. And, you know, mm. it, it really wouldn't be, it wasn't considered a hospital yet. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. It was sort of like a place of refuge. Mm-hmm. So medieval hospitals were usually about care rather than cure when we actually talk about real medieval hospitals. As Vern L. Bullo states in his article, A Note on Medical Care in Medieval English Hospitals, quote, The most comprehensive study of the subject states that hospitals were for care rather than cure, for the relief of the body when possible, but preeminently for the refreshment of the soul. By manifold religious observances, the staff sought to elevate and discipline character. They endeavored, as the body decayed, to strengthen the soul and prepare it for future life. Faith and love were more predominant features in hospital life than were skill and science. Hmm. Unquote. Okay. So, yeah, that's what I mean. (laughs) It wasn't really quite a hospital. It was just really for, like, just caring for those who were poor, needy, um, had nowhere to go. It was like a a farm. We're going to send them to the farm. And, like, nobody wants to see your crazy ass, like, with a giant gash and you're, like, dying in the street screaming, you know? There probably was another another kind of thing. Gross. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, while the Priory was not considered a hospital at its conception, uh, you know, they would have performed similar acts of care and light nursing for the indigent. Yeah. So they probably would have done some stuff. But, again, sure. you know, these are a lot of, these are, like, monks and stuff, so they're not, they're not exactly trained in medical like with medical skill and stuff right yeah yeah and uh no one knows exactly when saint mary of bethlehem became a full-fledged hospital for the insane but by thir- by the 1300s they began taking in those who were considered mad as they were often left there or found their way there as they had nowhere else to go and they could not take care of themselves oh that's sad mm. yeah it's sad so the yeah yeah they just kind of just kind of wandered there i guess because it was a you know there's an, an almshouse where they could get care. So the Priory was first mentioned as being a hospital in 1329. And by 1403, it was housing patients permanently. So this is where it really kind of becomes a hospital. Right. So I guess now we need to talk a little bit about medieval medical practices. Oh, mm. the good mm, stuff. That's fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. A little, the, our first juicy bit here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sounds pokey and leachy. Mm-hmm. Pretty much, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so medieval medical practitioners were still going on the ancient ideas of the four humors, which is a belief that humans contain four regulatory fluids in their body, blood, phlegm, yellow bile, and black bile. So too much mm-hmm. or too little of either of these could cause a person to get sick physically and or mentally. Too much blood. Too much blood put a hole in him. So as uh, Paul Chambers writes in his article for BBC History Revealed, quote, medieval thinking held that mass... Oh, God. <laughs> medieval... Me, 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 me. You're doing such a good job. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So medieval thinking held that madness was a disease of the body, not of the brain, 
which could be cured using strong medicines to purge the individual of melancholic humors. All mental illness, it was thought, could be cured by inducing reoccurring bouts of vomiting and diarrhea and by bleeding from the veins. <clears throat> the, s- <laughs> the skin would be blistered with caustic substances and patients would have their head shaved and be placed in cold baths. Mm, yeah. uh, this regime would be administered repeatedly and for as long as the strength would bear. It inevitably led to deaths, unquote. Oh, my, God. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's just like, let's traumatize them as much as possible. Yes. We'll just oh. scare the crazy out of just them. dunk them. It's fine. Another, not another <laughs> animal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, we got to almost kill them. Not, you can't go killing them. There was this lady in line uh, the other day who was like one of those people that was like very fussy about wearing a mask and like having to be in line uh, and yeah. stuff like that. And like James had to confront this woman, and I was like, I bet she gives herself enemas every single night. <laughs> just like... Her colon is clean. Yes. She didn't want to wear a mask. Mm-mm. No. Oh, fun. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't need to wear underwear either. I fucking enema. <laughs> My asshole is clean. My asshole is like a tube of circus peanuts. <laughs> you could eat circus peanuts out of my asshole it's so clean hear that i just farted (laughs) i'm a good girl (laughs) so um you know these kind of treatments uh no doubt would have been used at bethlehem to treat those who had suffered from mental illnesses. Mm-hmm. Among other beliefs about insanity and mental illness at the time was that the sufferers were either possessed by demons or suffered from a moral decay. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, shackling a patient and or beating them was often thought as a, of a, as a legitimate way to drive out the demons or cure the madness. Oh, just thinking about that exchange between that poor person and that person that thinks they're in like you know, being a hero or it's justified and, oh, man. Yeah. Give me 20 cc's, I'll kick him in the balls. Yeah. <laughs> like, stop. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. yeah, it was just, I mean, that's crazy to think about, like, beatings were considered a treatment, you know, and, like, re- and like restraint, like, restraining somebody to a wall was also, or, or just something was considered a treatment. Can you imagine? Uh, I wonder how many people just died of fright, you know, because, like, on top of feeling like there's, you know, the walls are bleeding and that, like, mice are telling you to burn the building down or whatever, you know, people are aliens or everybody looks like your abusive mom, like, and then you're getting dunked underwater and beaten, like, just fucking mm-hmm. kill me, I'm sure. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, I mean, and a lot of people died. You know? Yeah, and, and I'm wondering if it was considered like treatment or like out of sight, out of mind for the caregivers. You know, I mean, oh, I, I, I mean, like, know. I mean, I don't know. You know, because it's like they had yeah. the belief that you could beat, you know, the demons or insanity out of a person. Yeah, but I mean, like shackling them to a wall, though. Like, what I? Yeah, I. It's you know, hard it's, to say how that's. A yeah, treatment. I mean, I think there are you know really archaic almost like traditional cures sure. um, in some yeah. places, you know, it's just like, this is like the way we've been doing it, you know? Yeah. We've just been beating the shit out of them and chaining them to a wall. I'd, <laughs> it's you know, fine. I don't know. And I mean, <laughs> what else do you do? I think that they're quiet. <laughs> I'm after it. That spawned <laughs> out of feeling, feelings of frustration from the staff's part of like, you know, having to 
spend time, energy, and money on something that they perceive to be like worthless in a way. Or like Yeah, and your shoulder you know. hurts after just beating you know, somebody for yes. so long. Just... Yeah, you throw out your fucking back throwing this chick against the like wall, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Jesus Tough. Christ. And this is all, you know, we don't really know, because um, very little is known about the treatment of patients um, in the medieval right. period of the hospital. It's it's really scarce. It's just we, we're kind of going off what were some of the, you know, treatments and regiments that were being used during the medieval time. And also, sure. you know, the medical beliefs. Um, right. One account from 1403 noted that there was, quote, the presence of four pairs of manacles, 11 chains, six locks and two pairs of stocks. Although it is not clear if any or or all these items were used for the restraint of the inmates. So, well, I'm I mean, if sure that's anything. It yeah. It's just like, no, it's just decoration. <laughs> I mean, I don't it's know. Like, oh, that's the lunchroom. <laughs> what chains? That's where we go to, to have lunch. Yeah. That's just midi- That's just medieval decor, man. I don't I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this old thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> It was my great grandfather's. <laughs> <laughs> so the small priory, now hospital, was incredibly small, and as the inmate population began to grow, the need for more space and and a better building was desperately needed, as it was becoming dilapidated, and the hospital was running low on resources for patients. So the hospital was turned over from the church to the state in 1600. And in 1674, the decision was made to move the now almost 400-year-old hospital from Bishopsgate to Moorfields, which is near the northern wall of London. Did you say 1674? 1674, yep. Wow. So, That's so we, crazy. we we jumped quite we jumped we jumped quite a 400 bit. 400 years um, but, already. That is crazy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. By by the time shit gets real dark, it had already been around for 400 years, almost 400 years. Goodness. Oh, it gets yeah. real dark. No. <laughs> Yeah, well, because because now we have like now we're getting into the era where we actually have records. We have records and then sadistic Mm -hmm. people who kind of take it over at a certain point. Mm -hmm. And probably the development of torture shit, because that was probably, you know, thanks to the Spanish Inquisition and all that. Torture treatment. Treatment. (laughs) Treatment. No, 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 no. Treatment. (laughs) (laughs) You've got to take your medicine. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! And that's an Iron Maiden. Oh my god! <laughs> hey, yeah. Those patients are in a doggy cage right now. They get treatments. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm. So the new asylum was completed in 1676, and it was quite the spectacle. It was designed by polymath Robert Hooke and was inspired by Louis XIV's Grand uh, Tuileries Palace in Paris. Tuileries. 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 Uh, many who saw the use some kind of toilery. Use some kind of toilery. Fucking toilery. Take kindly to tap. So many, many who saw the uh, the new asylum compared it to Versailles, as it contained like Corinthian columns, gardens, tree lined promenades, and it had a super impressive facade. It's all about the yeah. facade. Mm-hmm. I saw, um, uh, I think it was like an etching of it or, or either like an old photograph, but yeah, that thing was impressive Beautiful. in the front. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. As a Huffington Post article about Bedlam by Stephen Cassale notes, quote, two ominous statues were installed over its entrance gate. One named Melancholy, who appeared calm, and the other, Raving Madness, 
who was chained and angry. I unquote. saw those. They're fucked well, up. Let's just set the, set the fucking stage, right? That's right. It, you know, <laughs> For the path it, to wellness. I Jesus will, Christ. I, when I went on the, the study abroad trip to Italy and I went to um, Venice, I went to a mental institution that was one on, uh, on one of the islands off of, off of the shore. And they had all the inmates make all of the statues inside of this little church. And those statues oh. that you're talking about for Bedlam reminded me of those statues because those the saints just looked like the inmates yeah, they, and they're grimacing away. And like that was their idea of like a holy person, of like a recreation of a person kind of thing. It was sure. really, really mm-hmm. crazy. I mean, that sounds on brand. <laughs> Interesting, not crazy. Ah! <laughs> 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 yeah, I'd like to see those. Though. That'd be really, um, yeah, be interesting. Yeah, I'll have there's to a lot see. to a lot to unpack a lot to unpack there psychologically. Well, and not to so mention sure if you look, they if you had see one. they had rooms of all of the inmates' skulls that they had kept metal it was fucking crazy hell yeah, yeah. I don't that's know. fucking nuts yeah so mike j author of the book this way madness lies suggests that this grand asylum and focal point in the city was quote part of an attempt to recreate london as something grand and modern instead of the old medieval timber warrens that that part of london consisted of before the fire and it was a kind of civic pride and it was a sense of charitable mission that this was going to make London a grander and better place for everybody. A palace for lunatics, it was often called. Unquote. Oh. Oh, dear. Sounds mm-hmm. fun. Sounds like a porty. Yep. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> sounds like a porty. No, no, this this new facility would mark a, a new dark chapter in the hospital's history. So not not a fun party. Not a fun no. party. Oh, I'm sorry. I just thought of Palace for Lunatics, and I'm all like, kick it. That sounds super fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, the Beastie Boys were just horribly insane. Give me that Budweiser. <laughs> we're crazy. <laughs> Mental so illness as... is no joke. It isn't, yeah, guys. No, I, no. I promise <clears throat> I don't feel that way. <laughs> So, um, as Ruggeri points out in her BBC write-up, a hurried sense of competition and capitalist interest might have resulted in a hurried construction. Uh-oh. Quote, because the, or- yep. because the ornate facade was so heavy, it immediately cracked at the back. Oh. Whenever it rained, the walls ran with water. And oh. as the hospital was built on rubble next to the city's Roman wall, it didn't even have a proper foundation, unquote. <sighs> oh, so it was like dirt? Like a uh, like dirt floor. It's just crumbling. <clears throat> they just oh, didn't do a proper foundation. Oh. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. So you know this beautiful facade juxtaposed with structural issues was a really fitting metaphor for the hospital's inner workings. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so as the age of science and medicine began to evolve and progress, so did the treatments for the insane and mentally ill. But Bethlehem would remain stubbornly archaic and the 17th and 18th century would bring a new low for the institution and humanity around it. Oh, oh, and... You gave me a ray of hope there. I was like, ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, and here's where we need to talk about the Monroes. 
Yep. So in 1728, Dr. James Monroe was appointed head physician of Bethlehem. And this would begin a nepotistic rule of the asylum that would last for four generations. So this Monroe dynasty would lead to a tradition of treatment and patient care that would remain obstinate even when treatment and science was progressing. So, you know, they would advocate for more physical remedies for insanity rather than psychological and moral ones. You know, so like they were basically just like old fucking stubborn men just like stuck in their ways. Like we've been doing it like this forever and we're not we're not oh, changing. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up. Did you get a, a good look at their portraits? They Oh dude. One looked like he looked like smelled part. a horrible fart and you know it was his own <gasps> fart. Really? They look like that. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Your stereotypical, like judgy looking dudes. Yeah. That judgy judgy looking white health. dudes. Mm-hmm. Powdered <laughs> wigs. Oh, like a Bannon kind of like kind of figure where their skin looks like it's gonna slough off or something. Um, yeah, yeah. Sure. And they've got like nipple <laughs> clamps on while they're, like they're walking around all day. Probably. Maybe maybe that was why he's making that face. <laughs> like he's got a butt plug in. <laughs> their treatments were their nipple clamps. Let's be real. Yeah, that's true. Yep. <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, I mean, th- this this whole time period would be the time where we get that word bedlam, where, yeah. where that kind of that change happens. So, before we get into like more about the inner workings of the hospital, let's talk about some of the treatments that were used at bedlam. Yay! Let's have a little fun. <laughs> so I'm gonna be uh, I'm gonna be quoting from that Chambers article again on quite a okay. few of these. Um, he just laid it out really well, so I just figured like sure. oh, why why fuck it up. <clears throat> So first, let's talk about rotational therapy. Oh no, that sounds okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna say oh no bad. for all of them. Even if it's fluffy kitty therapy. Oh no. <laughs> oh god. Oh god, no. Because <laughs> you know it's gonna be something gruesome anyway. <laughs> oh yeah, right. <laughs> so developed by Charles Darwin's grandfather, which is very interesting. Whoa. Ooh. Yeah. Quote, rotational therapy usually involved placing a patient in a chair, which was suspended from a beam by ropes attached oh, to Oh, no. I know exactly what <laughs> So the, the chair would be turned 20 or 40 times one way and allowed to spin back to its original position. Darwin himself in 19 or sorry, in 1796 recommended the practice be performed for an hour or two, three or four times a day for a month. Unquote. God. You did? Oh, 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 I'm feeling better. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> so, so Dar- Darwin, the guy oh who, um, who who developed it, he 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 said that that is the sort of like the recommended dosage of rotational therapy. Oh my God! Make sure they have lots of porridge before throw up everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> a whole flagon of milk. They're like a fountain. It's quite incredible. <laughs> we shall vomit the vomit. <laughs> <laughs> and make it in a porridge for the next day. Pennies <laughs> <laughs> here, pinching pennies. <laughs> so it was considered an effective way to evacuate the bowels bladder Aww. and stomach and to stimulate Aww. the nervous system and brain because they're scaring yeah. the shit out of it was them also... like, literally <laughs> <laughs> it was also thought to induce restful sleep 
So, you know. Okay. Because they're exhausted from being terrified. <laughs> they're exhausted from <laughs> shitting and vomiting. Everywhere. Oh, no. So, on the flip side, and this tells you kind of like... So, it's kind of fucked up. They also use this as a punishment. For, oh, like, unruly really? <laughs> Killing two birds with one stone, you know? Exactly. Yeah. You got to cut some corners, save that money. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, next, let's go to cold water therapy. Um, mm. So, you know, we talked about the cold water therapy a little bit, um, but yeah. here's sort of like the way it was, like what you really could have expected. So, quote, Cold bathing became a way of shocking inmates out of a mental illness. Mm. It remained a popular course of treatment for much of the 18th century. Patients could be submerged in cold water for long periods of time, wrapped in towels that had been soaked in ice, or sprayed with cold water, unquote. Man, <sighs> mental illness ain't the fucking hiccups, dude. <laughs> you go away. Pat him on the back until he feels better. Get him a glass of water. <laughs> and then dunk him in ice water. <laughs> Oh my God, no. Perfect. Yeah, so that was, I mean, and you can imagine, you know, they're doing this year round. The hospital does not have good, like, heating or insulation. And, no. you know, so you imagine some people get hypothermia and die. Yeah, like, you know, and the walls likely. are fucking leaking. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. what? Especially this, in the winter, yeah. This episode is in honor of all of those poor people, and I will be thinking of their memory for the next week, two weeks month oh at least forever yeah i am so no, for sorry sure. for these poor souls yeah it's Ugh. it's you know it's like when you when you when i read the cult you know water therapy it it sounds bad but not horrible but then you really think about like you know like yeah yeah just like like how it probably was, it was just how like, they're God, perceiving fucking... it what their life yeah. has been like they're probably their health is probably mm-hmm. really yeah. bad to begin with they're before that to death anyway like they probably sure. barely yeah. have clothes on like no shoes like and then being freezing. We'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my uh, God. Yeah. Well, and, like, I, yeah. I was going to say earlier, there's, like, two great examples of this time period, like, as far as a quick visual that I think they did a great job on was the beginning of Amadeus. That was a really good visual. And then also the movie Quills. Oh, yeah. You know, like, just kind of showing. Quills was, like, a fucking, you know, resort compared to the way that they portrayed it that in and and Amadeus which I think is more you know accurate yeah Yeah. naked people under like a holy sheet that's just in the middle of the fucking walkway like just sure yeah yeah we'll we'll get to more about about that stuff in a little bit here um but yeah you're 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 you know not off so I guess the last one that we'll talk about and this is you know been going on for you know or went on for a really long time yeah but it's a uh, ble- bleeding and purging mm-hmm. so quote in the 18th century there was little understanding as to the causes of mental illness and patients whether depressive manic or paranoid received the same course of treatments mental illness was viewed as a disease of the body rather than the brain and patients were often prescribed weeks of enforced bleeding vomiting and diarrhea in order to purge the body of its melancholic humors Mm-hmm. Caustic subs- substances were also applied to the skin to make it burn and blister, unquote. And they would also, with the blistering, they would also try to keep it infected a little bit because oh. it was thought like that yellow um, and oh, green color. Yeah, they thought that that was good. <clears throat> but really, they're just, they're just, they're fostering infection. No fucking way. I never knew that about bleeding. 
that they would yeah. be mm-hmm. affected. Uh, one of the specials I was watching, they they had an implement from it. It was called the tick. And mm-hmm. what it looks like is like a little like handled, like two handled thing that came down to a point. And they said they would so put almost the like, point almost in like the a skin. Hook. Yeah. And they would hit it with the hammer and like cause you to bleed. Like <laughs> and, they, and then they would like rotate they could like rotate it to like kind of make a valve for how yeah. much blood came out. And that was and that was like if you didn't have the money for leeches cuz if, if somebody was a patient um they could get the leech treatment but leeches were also not always easy to come by, you know, like sure. it, it just it was a lot cheaper for some inmates, you know, it's just a just boop. You know, I mean cut them. Yep. I really thought that, you know, by this time from, you know, the Roman period to now that they would have gathered that 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 infection is bad and it makes it worse you know like the deeper larger yeah well i mean it was like they were trying to control it what does he do he's all like oh i'm not pussy enough <laughs> okay not ought to do it you know just like <laughs> on it <laughs> Like farts on someone's yeah. wound, like Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Bring in the farter. <laughs> Flatulist to the king. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so beating, starvation, and other cruel treatment were seen as the only way to deal with patients sometimes. One such doctor, William Black, writing in 1811, he said of Bethlehem, quote, the straight waistcoat when necessary, and occasional purgatives are the principal remedies, unquote. So, you know, this was just part of the social problems that were happening in the 18th and 19th century. Bedlam only had room for a finite number of patients, but they stuffed it cramped full, and they still had a waiting list. You know, you, you can imagine the number of, of those who were, like, really insane or just considered insane. And there's like there's like a Bill Murray character that just wants it's not crazy at all that just wants to get in there to get on in the action, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> dunk me. <laughs> Fucking dunk me. And this is really fucked up. As a result of like, you know, Bedlam being so so overpopulated, uh private asylums opened up in London and they were often no more than prisons disguised as hospitals. And yeah. families oh, could come yeah, families could commit sane family members who are just inconvenient or troublesome into these private asylums for and like I mean, a price. How so often, it's like if you didn't, yeah, if you didn't like your mother-in-law, oh, she's crazy, and to get her <laughs> away, and, and and they would do like treatment. So it's basically just being tortured. Especially yeah. women. I mean, God, up until like the fucking seventies, you know, really the the fifties, really, but you know, still in some places in the seventies, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, the bottom yeah, city. Sure. <laughs> yeah so you know there were reformists who wanted to see changes to how mentally ill were treated and how hospitals like bedlam and others were run uh william batty was one such doctor who worked to push progresses on how treatments were done and he was the chief physician at saint luke's which was just across the way from bedlam and Batty denounced practices such as bleeding blisters caustics opium cold baths and vomits in favor of patients being removed from all objects that are known causes of their disorder. So he was Gosh. like really, he was really trying to go the quiet, comfort, you know, comfortable yeah, treatment the, route, you know. The way that made sense. <laughs> yeah, trying to keep stress low, you know, like yeah. trying to like anything that triggers, you know, try to get that away. Um, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's he's working on these new on these new progressions in 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 psychiatry. I mean, psychology basically. Yeah. But John Moreau, son of James Monroe, was now the chief physician at Bedlam in 1751, and he Yay. and Batty had very public arguments and debates about patient care. See, Monroe believed that they shouldn't get rid of traditional methods of treatment, which in his words were tried and true. According to Monroe, quote, the most adequate and constant cure is by evacuation, and that he never saw or heard of the bad effects of the vomits. <laughs> yeah, because you weren't there ever, yeah. probably. <laughs> it's like, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. We've been doing it this way. Why would we change? <laughs> and this this is uh, a pretty fucked up part of the history. Um, so it yeah. was during this time that public visitations grew in popularity. Yeah. So in the latter part of the 17th century, Bedlam allowed for visitors to come and tour the hospital. Just anybody. Yeah. And by the 1750s, the number of visitors were in the tens of thousands per year. Anyone who had money to pay a fee or gave a charitable donation could wander the grounds in hospital as a spectator of the mad. Oh, I heard One could go on one of these. Yeah, one could go on one of these tours for as little as a penny. Uh, and visitors were able to gawk at, taunt, and abuse inmates. And they're essentially, they're like cruel spectators, and they treat Bedlam and, and his patients like animals in a zoo. So, like, essentially, you could just walk up to the box office, buy a fucking ticket. Here, here's a, a basket of rotten fruit. How about you take that, feed the animals, chuck, you know, chuck it at their head. Sure. It's yeah. fine. That's yeah. so heartbreaking. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so, diarist Ned Ward he visited Beth, uh, Bedlam in 1699, and he recalled his visit to this mad world. "Quote: We heard such a rattling of chains, drumming of doors, ranting, hollering, singing, and rattling that I could think of nothing but a vision where the damned broke loose and put hell in an uproar." Unquote. Mm. Jeez. So, patients would be locked in their cells and this is a ward again quote uh, ward was able to join other visitors in making taunts and jeers through the bars and peepholes some inmates were verbally insulted while others were goaded into doing or saying ridiculous things uh. those who were beyond conversation tried to dissuade people from staring at them uh, by spitting or throwing objects or if suffering from melancholia by not responding at all oh so God. this is pretty fucked up and, and cruel but the belief at the time was that insanity, quote, robbed the individual of shame, emotion, and reason to the extent that any verbal or physical abuse they suffered could surely have no long-lasting effects, unquote. They, they really they, love to just, like, umbrella everybody. Like, <laughs> no, no, it's illness. fine. Like, they every, even, it's, yeah. Mm-hmm. They didn't even try to talk to them about it, it sounds like, you know. No. Ugh. Nope. They're just like, yep, you're insane. So obviously these are all your symptoms, no matter what it is. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, and then we'll see the, you know, later on um, the eugenics Mm -hmm. movements Ah. is starting here in America. Yeah. It's just like the, you know, mentally ill be kind of become subhuman. Mm -hmm. Right. Wow. I had forgotten about a lot of this. This is a. (laughs) Uh-oh. <laughs> so as expected, the hospital was also making some extra money from admissions and their donations. And the staff lined their pockets as well by offering, for a small fee, 
private tours and access to inmate cells and specific wards, as well as taking food or clothing donations and selling them, depriving the inmates of clothing and food. Mm. And this made me think of the uh, scene in The Elephant Man. I know. I'm thinking of that, too. Mm. Where the guy, he brings up people, yes. um, people paid to come and, and look at the elephant man. Mm-hmm. Basically, what's happening here. Yeah, absolutely. God. Yeah, and here's, here's a ex- uh, more extended quote from uh, that article by Chambers. Quote, It was not just tourists drawn to Bedlam. Intermixed with a cacophony, smells and sights of the wards were prostitutes, pickpockets, and merchants of food, drink, trinkets, and other wares. Bedlam, wrote Ward in his journal, is an almshouse for madmen, a showing room for whores, a sure market for lechers, a dry walk for loiterers. Despite this, Londoners loved it, unquote. Ugh, God, what a horrible situation. It's like a yeah. freak show. Buy your souvenirs. Basically, yeah, it's basically what it is. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of on par with like human executions, you know, or with well, I'm sorry, with executions. Yeah, <laughs> human yeah. Executions, of course. Uh, but you know, <laughs> yeah, but you know, at executions, they would do the same thing. There would be like, you know, food vendors, drink vendors, like sometimes people selling trinkets, um, pamphlets, things like that. So it was like something along that lines. It's it's this like fascination with, um, I guess, the macabre. You know. Yeah, That's certainly brutal. Yeah. Yeah, man. So this public voyeurism would come to a head by the 1780s when the hospital only allowed access if a visitor was accompanied by a hospital governor or a senior officer. Jesus, finally. Over overcrowding and riotous behavior from both patients and visitors led to this change in in admission. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine like all the fights that probably broke out between the insane and people just coming in to like ridicule them. Oh, oh yeah, oh, yeah absolutely. Just mm-hmm. fist fight, knock down, drag outs, like screaming sure. matches. Like it sounds just... almost like it was worse than whatever they were in before. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Hundred mm-hmm. percent worse. Uh, and like, how mm. many people like would murder because of this, or like were criminally insane within there, or whatever? Yeah. How many people committed suicide? Like. All kinds mm-hmm. of things. Jeez. Yep. Yeah. Awful. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, it's good that it stopped, but the downside, you know, with this, with Bedlam was that, you know, without public witnesses, uh, care and medical practices were now even more unobserved and unregulated than they were before. Oh, God. Yep. Bedlam soon found itself in debt and the hastily built facility was now falling apart. Wow. One surveyor started uh, stated after an inspection that repairs were impossible and, quote, its continued use was unwise and improvident to the highest degree, unquote. Yeah, I imagine so. And they, of course, didn't shut down. I know. And I they just bust. Say, yeah. <laughs> and they just and they just they just crammed the inmates together in the more habitable parts of the building. <sighs> no. Nope. So, you know, violence was frequent as the criminally insane and milder inmates were now chained together. And, you know, there was also a lack of resources. Again, things like heat, clothing and blankets were scarce. And, you know, rats just multiplied. You know, they're just fucking ton of rats. Just a cesspool. Yeah. At this point, Bedlam seems to have been either forgotten purposefully or bureaucratically as it was just, you know, completely in shambles. 
Yeah. Uh, the outside still looked like magnificent, but the inside was decaying and crumbling. How and... fascinating. Like, yeah. like a reflection of the system at hand, you know? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, behind closed doors idea. Yeah, I mean, so Bedlam was in debt and operating without any accountability or scrutiny. So, I mean, it's just, you uh, know. Yeah, can, I mean, just, just horrible you... conditions. <clears throat> yeah, like one thing seems to to shift for the better or like you see a bit of progression taking place and then it's just set back in another fashion Mm -hmm. yeah i mean as as uh, chamber says um to be sent to bethlehem was no longer just a matter of shame it also presented the serious risk of injury or even death wow so brian crowther who was a surgeon at Bethlehem from 1789 to 1815 oh. was reported to have been insane and mostly drunk. <laughs> Thomas Monroe, who had taken over. I thought after you were going to say father, something constructive, constructive for a second. <laughs> nope. Nope. Uh, he, he rarely came to the facility and cared more about collecting art than running a hospital. Uh, there were also reports of the staff running amok uh, alcoholism, cruelty, and male wow. staff making visits to the female inmates. I knew, Naturally. I knew it. Like I just every, I was looking at like um, all of the photos of inmates. You know, like once that w- became available, and from the eighteen hundreds. Yeah, and I you saw could those just, too. you could just always see in the women's face, like you know that probably were in in um care for a long time care you know quotation but like <laughs> you could they you know they seem some shy... shit yes they're yeah. shy away mm-hmm. and yeah they're a lot of them you know were raped and became pregnant and then their children god knows what happened to their children you know if they even went into adoption stuff like that Ugh. yeah Fuck. it's 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 truly horrible to think about yes yeah so, you know, conditions inside Bethlehem and some of the other asylums had created a reformist movement that had been pressuring Parliament to do something. Bethlehem governors had used their influence to, quote, keep the hospital exempted from outside influence. The, it was basically this way they were just outside the system, uh, working almost operating independently. This went on up until 1814 when a campaigner for reform, Edward Wakefield, and a group of MPs gained access much to the protests of the staff, and it soon became apparent why. So here's what Chambers says the men saw when they entered. Ah, fuck. Buckle up. Yeah, this is a shitty one. So, quote, Inside the building, it was stark, dirty, and cold, with no glazed windows or hot water. In those parts that were habitable, MPs found small, fetid cells populated by several people chained to walls or their beds. Many were stark naked with just a single blanket to protect them from cold and rats. This included Anna Stone, whose treatment was called an act of disgusting idiocy. She and other patients' limbs were found to be crippled with cold and subject to injury by the raving patients with whom they were chained. Ugh. Wait, I don't understand. fucking nightmare. Wait, what does that mean? So it's like uh, the people who are basically less severely mentally insane uh were stuck with the the really severely insane and they were being basically beaten and injured by them because mm-hmm. they're chained to them sort of thing yes 
God, you guys, if reincarnation is real, can you imagine the depth of terror some of our souls might know to even have like <laughs> lived this kind of thing? Like, hey, that's whoa. why we all come into this world screaming, baby. Yes, that's fucking crazy. Yeah. So uh, the, the the quote the quote continues again. Okay. Quote: The sight that shocked the committee was that of James Norris, described as a clear and lucid man who had been tightly chained by his neck to an iron bar in the wall. With additional metal restraints on his chest, waist, feet, and arms, Norris complained that his muscles were atrophied and painful following a decade of confinement. The staff described Norris as violent and dangerous, but to the MPs, he seemed quiet and perhaps even sane. Unquote. They're just making up shit to justify their actions because... They're just not. Yeah. Oh no, he's he's dangerous. You know, like oh yeah, we yeah. gotta do that. I mean, on top of that, what what year are we in now? Could you remind me? Uh, so this was um, sorry, it was early 1800s. eighteen hundreds, eighteen eighteen fourteen. And yeah. like this is kind of you know the beginning of the you know industrial revolution and things like that, mm-hmm. and you know yep. the London poor and like how bad it must be out there, and like all of the people that are working and running this place are already frustrated from being that and being in their situation and then they mm-hmm. go to work and beat the shit out of these people like oh my god oh my god yeah i mean and an artist did a, a a like a rendering of of um of norris you know just like i saw him that lying yeah in his bed. yeah and so that was published out into the public and this kind of helped uh kind of fuel that reformist movement that wakefield was was trying oh my god can i look that yeah. up real quick what is uh that? it's um james norris I know this is upsetting. Oh my fucking fucking god! Wow. Yeah. And he's got mega sad face on. Yeah, he does. He's got like the epitome of I'm just here, but I'm in constant, constant sorrow. Yeah, he's he's not happy. He's not having a good time. <laughs> yeah. You can say that again. So, you know, that 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 illustration, along with um, more public outcry against the cruel displays and, you know, the kind of the gruesome treatment, it finally led to parliamentary inquiry into Bethlehem's operations and conditions like an official one. Finally. But, uh, well, let's not get too optimistic here. Uh, This Mm -hmm. led to some firing of the staff, but most of the upper management and governors faced almost no repercussions. Thomas Monroe was appointed as the new doctor, and the House of Lords, quote, blocked attempts at bringing Bethlehem under official regulation, unquote. They probably just wanted to keep throwing people they didn't want to deal with in there, and like... Yeah, sure. There had Mm -hmm. to have been some fucking... some (laughs) underlying... And it's very British, like... (laughs) Yeah, intentions. (laughs) And it got a little better after this, but... Yeah. um, It's not... still not, like, great... So, right. you know, so that a cool time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in 1815, the hospital was moved once again to St. George's Fields. Wakefield kept fighting for reform. And by 1818, things had seemed to be improving a bit. There were still problems, of course, with the staff and with cruelty. For example, Edward, Edward Wright was one staff member who, a colleague said, smoked and opened and removed the heads of dead patients. Wright had created a lab in the basement to pr- practice sick experiments on the dead. 
I mean, he so was kind of neat. encouraged to, to to do that behavior. You know, it was sure. It's, yeah, it's like it's not hey, surprising. Fucking hey, scramble around there, see what's going on. <laughs> yeah, do whatever yeah. you want. <laughs> wow, guys. So Bedlam continued to act outside the law, but by 1853, reformists and medical progress had finally caught up with Bedlam, and legislation passed that ended their exemption from legislation. Mm. And Bedlam was no longer independent after this. So in or no longer acted independently. Right. And in 1930, Bethlehem was moved once again to uh, Beckenham in Kent, where it continues to run to this day under the National Health Service. And uh, yeah, basically it. What? Ooh. That's I thought this shit would never end, Christopher. I thought this is going to be the <laughs> longest. Story. This is like this is so good. It's like me listening to a podcast at work that like once it's over, I'm like, <laughs> I mean, and now we're recording a podcast about it. But it's so juicy. <laughs> And well, yeah. I mean, and that's just and that's just that part. I mean, that's <clears throat> kind of what we know. And I got I mean, I left out a bunch of stuff. Of course. You know, there's so much more. Kinda, yeah. I'm so motivated yeah. And there's a lot learn more about it. Yeah, yeah. I definitely yeah. definitely encourage people to, to look up more about it. Yeah. So I guess now we'll get a little spooky. Yeah. I found um a couple of different like kind of ghost stories because really the, the original intention of this series, I, I believe it's going to become was mm-hmm. to cover haunted asylums and you know f- tell yeah. fun ghost stories about them but um surprisingly with bedlam um and like you said because it was it had moved around so much perhaps maybe this is why there aren't as many as you would expect but um i was only able to find a couple so yeah mm-hmm. i'll share them yeah i i tried to look too and now you only yeah yeah and I think I'm going to start with um, Rebecca. Okay. This is the tale of poor Rebecca. Bedlam's most legendary specter is that of a young woman named Rebecca. Elliot O'Donnell writes of her in his 1932 book, Ghosts of London. In 1780, a young and handsome Indian came to London and took lodgings in the house of a merchant on Fish Street Hill, close to London Bridge. Now the merchant at that time happened to have in his employ a very plain and shy maidservant called Rebecca, who loved poetry, especially romantic poetry, and often, when in bed, used to lie awake of thinking of what she had read and repeating aloud to herself certain lines she had memorized. Hence, it may be deduced that she was both imaginative and impressionable, the sort of girl who might easily fall in love and fall deeply. This she did, the moment she saw the young Indian lodger, and henceforth, instead of repeating lines of poetry in bed at night, she would lie awake repeating his name and conjuring up his image. Tell me more, tell me more. (laughs) 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 Then one day, to her unspeakable consternation, she learned he was leaving. So reserved was Rebecca, and so successful in her habitual self-restraint, that the Indian had not the slightest suspicion she was in love with him. Indeed, he scarcely thought of her at all. She inspired no sentiment whatever in him. She was just the very unattractive domestic and nothing more. This she did not know. Indeed, she believed rather the reverse, for she had magnified his casual, non-significant and ordinary glances into those of ill-concealed latent love and tender admiration. 
to her bitter disappointment. Not a word of regret did he utter when she brought him his breakfast that last, much-dreaded morning. He ate it hurriedly and in silence. She followed him to the door with some of his luggage, still hoping. And then the thunderbolt. With a careless nod of his head and still careless more of his goodbye, he thrust something into her cold and not unshapely palm. It was a sovereign. The other inmates of the house and the neighbors wondered infinitely when they saw Rebecca running after the chase, which bore away her adored one, screaming and holding out the sovereign, which in his innocent generosity he had given her as a tip. The money in lieu of the love she had been so eagerly hoping for turned her brain, and she was, henceforth, a hopeless lunatic. She then became an inmate of Bedlam, that is to say, the hospital of the Star of Bethlehem, where she remained till she died, the fatal sovereign continually in her grasp. When she died, she was still clutching it, and the sight of it in her dead fingers so aroused the cupidity of a keeper that, biding his opportunity, he stole it. So she was buried without it, hence the haunting. Shortly after her death, strange noises heard in the asylum at night, footsteps and the opening and shutting of doors, some of which were locked on the inside, and more. Sometimes in the daytime and sometimes at night, the ghost of Rebecca was seen, a lean figure with ghastly white cheeks and wild eyes, gliding about corridors, rooms and staircases, always hunting, with never-abating feverishness, for her precious purloined sovereign. When the asylum shifted its quarters to its last London home, Rebecca's ghost went with it and stayed there, periodically manifesting itself, according to report, to patients and officials alike, right up to the time of its removal into the country in September 1924. That was a really goddamn sad story. Isn't it sad? Yes. Poor Rebecca. I know. Uh, no. Poor she baby. She didn't have Facebook to bitch about it. Nothing. She could have just <laughs> you know, got all some gal pals and gotten over it. No. Yeah. Uh, drink some drink some white claws and exactly. Yeah. He's an asshole. <laughs> He's an asshole. Honey, you are beautiful. You don't need exactly. that. You don't need that man. You don't need a man. Yes. <laughs> he is like the worst. He's the fucking worst. <laughs> and he stinks. <laughs> so so like, uh, there's only really... You... <laughs> no, Go no, ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, nothing. I was just going to say, there's only really one more ghost story, but, um, you know, kind of... You can't really talk about where that ghost shows up, Liverpool Street Station, without really addressing the, the burial ground they found under there, which yes. is pretty... Freaking cool. I saw that yeah, footage. Yeah, it was pretty nuts. Freaking ow! So, yeah. Like, like, seriously, it was like KFC chicken fucking bucket, like bones on top of bones. <laughs> it was. <laughs> like, like, heaps of bones. It was crazy. It's like the dumpster of a barbecue restaurant. Totally. <laughs> that mud even kind of looked like barbecue. I was getting kind of hungry. Mm-hmm. It did. Mm-hmm. Mashed potatoes. Mm. Oh god. I'm actually hungry now. Thank you. <laughs> I am too. So, uh where Bedlam's Hospital Garden once was, this site is now London Underground's Liverpool Station, and the station was built in 1874. Over the years, 
Bedlam's garden eventually became a massive burial ground uh, called the New Churchyard, and that was established in 1569. It was used from 1570 until 1739 and was a common burial ground. And this meant that really anyone who wanted to use it could, and many times that meant that those who couldn't afford a traditional burial would come to this churchyard for burial services. So just make sure you wash your hands when you leave. <laughs> yeah. So most of the bodies that are there were like poor people, plague victims, overflow from London's hospitals and prisons, you know, kind of like Bedlam itself. Mm -hmm. So a lot of fucking people is what you're saying. Yeah, like a shit ton. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was free for the whole city to bury in without paying anything. However, there was a sixpence grave digging charge. Of course, fucking. (laughs) Of course, right? So this burial site is estimated to have 25,000 graves, which that's a lot. (laughs) That is a lot. So in 2015, overlapping burial sites were uncovered by Crossrail as they were excavating the site for Liverpool Street Station construction work. They estimated that there were 3,000 remains on this particular site, and the excavators uncovered a myriad of artifacts alongside the remains. As archaeologists examined these remains, they discovered compelling evidence on the skeletons that could possibly be linked to Bedlam and its patients. Of, of abuse and disease? Yeah. One example being um, on the bones, there were lesions found on the bones, which is caused from syphilis, apparently, mm-hmm. a disease that would cause dementia. Mm-hmm. And then another um, interesting condition they found on a skeleton was uh, the top of the skull sawed off, indicating an autopsy procedure. So, I mean, this really supports the idea that it's very likely that there were Bedlam patients buried in this particular burial ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, th- I think that particular station was also like, was like, r- like right on, right near it, right? I'm, I'm pretty sure. It was like like really close to Bedlam. It was like right there almost. The Liverpool Street Station, yeah. It was right there because that was like the garden like alongside of like on the grounds of Bedlam where oh, that okay. burial site was found. So, yeah, it was it was like on the property. That's fucking nuts. So, I mean, despite all these bodies being found there, there isn't really like a ghost sighting directly connected to the burial ground itself. However... In the year 2000, a line controller caught something on Liverpool Station's CCTV. It was after 2 a.m., and the station was already shut down for the night. The line controller saw on the surveillance recording a figure wearing white overalls. He called his supervisor immediately to go and investigate, and the controller watched in suspense as the supervisor stood close enough to touch the ghost. Soon after, he received a call from his boss and he said he had not seen anything, but would continue to look. Again, the controller watched as the apparition passed right by his supervisor. But once again, he said he had not seen it himself. Wow. So That's fucking, that's crazy. Yeah. Oh, man. Imagine how creepy that is to, like, you're watching it, and he's like, no, nothing down here, man. And you're just like. Right? <laughs> and no, no. And the ghost is going like this and like about to grab him or something. Like, I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's pretty freaky. I would have been super scared. 
Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, fucking right, dude. That's crazy. And, and like, another, like, funny tidbit I found, not funny, but um, something I liked a lot. It's not really a ghost story, but it's about one of the patients at Bedlam, um, James Tilly Matthews. He was committed to Bedlam in 1797 after he started having, like, outbursts against public figures, accusing them of treason and conspiracy against him. Mm-hmm. He was, like, a conspiracy theorist. And he's actually probably the first documented patient that ever believed that the government was controlling his mind with rays emitting from a machine called heirlooms. He believed oh, yeah, that they heard about did, him. Did you see that? Yes. He believed there were several of these spread throughout London. And he actually illustrated this machine in great detail mm-hmm. and explained that there were gangs of there were gangs that were skilled in pneumatic chemistry. And they would pragmatize potential victims with volatile magnetic fluid. And you can look <laughs> up these illustrations, and it is fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, man. I don't know where I saw that. I, I, I did read about that. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. It's like, it's, it's, I, oh, man. <laughs> I can't, I, I can't even explain it. You I think I saw that it. they did a sculptural exhibition of the recreations of what he believed as well. It's yeah, sounds right. Pretty crazy, yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's kind of like it's like their version of like I don't know, almost like lizard people or aliens controlling members of the government. Yeah. To act on their interests, you know. It's oh it's yeah, it's fucking, fucking wild tin shit. foil hat city, and you know how much I love my tin foil hat men. They're my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and you know, speaking of like. There are a lot of famous um, inmates and stuff, you know. Like a, yeah. a, one of the one of the kings went there. Actually, oh. I can't I can't remember which one it was now. Uh, damn, the name name escapes me. Anyway, he had like a few mental breakdowns and, and he went to Bedlam for a little bit. Um, wow. And probably had like good digs though, you know. Probably wasn't. Oh, probably sure. wasn't with like the general population. Um, yeah, and then there was a painter too. He did a lot of like. Yeah. Um, God, fucking, what's his name? Dodd or something? I don't. I, that sounds right. Very good painter. Yeah, he did um a lot of uh, paintings of like fairies and, and like dwarves. You know that kind of like mm-hmm. oh, supernatural yeah. creatures and stuff. Yeah, it's crazy. And he he got he was like super insane. I guess. He, yeah, he killed his dad because he thought he was the devil. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's crazy. cool stuff. <laughs> I'm looking him up right now because I want to know who it is. Fucking yeah, I can't. Ah, oh, man, his name is like it's like Andrew Dodd or Richard Dodd or, or something, something like that. I saw a picture of him like in the institution, and they had him like set up with like a canvas and stuff like that. Yeah, like the oval canvas. Yeah, Richard, yeah, Richard Dodd. Dodd. Yeah. Yeah, his stuff's pretty interesting. It's um. Yeah, I didn't actually look at any of his art, but oh, oh yeah, sure. okay. Oh my God, he's really amazing. Mm-hmm. I love that portrait of that woman. I've yeah. always seen that. The dangerous wow. Super cool. Yeah. Yeah, he's like super super famous. Um, you know, and yeah, there are a bunch of there's some like other other political enemies. Um, po- like people who tried to assassinate political figures were there. Sure. At things like that. So yeah, it was you know because it was a place for the criminally insane as well as the mildly insane you know or mm-hmm. basically sometimes not even insane just like if you had depression 
you know, yeah. <laughs> you could be considered insane. Yeah, and you're like, bumming everybody like... out. We better put you away. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> you're ruining our good time here. <laughs> right. Uh, so, yeah, I guess that's kind of it for, for the Bedlam Asylum. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that was a depressing episode. Yeah, I was like, it's a little yeah. sad. That was crazy. I was a, I was shocked. I really thought this was just to be teeming with ghosts, but nope. Yeah, me too. But um, when I started reading, and I was gonna, I was going to like turn away from doing it, but then when I started reading about the history, I was like, oh, and and you Man. know how long it had been yeah. operating, that really piqued my interest a lot. Knowing what yeah, happened I'm... to these people was terrifying enough, anyway. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah right. I'm sure, I'm you don't sure need that any ghosts. ghosts are around, and I'm sure they're all over the oh, world. Oh yeah were subjected to this kind of torture yeah, yeah i mean it's yeah i mean it's it's torture is treatment you know it's yeah what do you what do you say not fun <laughs> yikes you say yikes mm-hmm. yeah he's <laughs> yikes <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i guess we'll kind of make this a running series we'll do another asylum episode at some point i guess we'll you know maybe profile yeah you know asylums yeah. and hauntings i guess we'll do social media stuff yeah okay you can follow us on Facebook at Under the Pendulum Podcast, <laughs> at Instagram at Under Pendulum Podcast, Twitter, Pendulum underscore pod. And you can find all of our episodes on Spotify, <laughs> iTunes, Podbean, Google Podcasts, or almost anywhere else you listen to your pods. Stop following my. <laughs> you can find me, Heather. On Facebook at Heather Thomas, Instagram at h.n.thomas, Twitter at Heather W. Thomas, and you can also hear my narrations on creepy Tales to Terrify, Pseudopod, and Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Now oh that made God. me feel like I was going crazy. I'm like, am I in another dimension? Who is this Heather? Is this a real Heather I've heard about? <laughs> Bleed me dry because I'm going crazy. <laughs> Oh man! Uh, what about where? But what about you, Kate? Where where can people you find can you? You can find me on Instagram, um, and my name is Frothy Stardog, and um, Kate Weber for Facebook. Nice. And you can find me on Instagram and Facebook by searching for Christopher Weber. Nice. Yeah. Real, real simple. Real. Real <laughs> easy. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, thank you for joining us, and uh, we'll be back for a very special October series. Yeah, I'm excited. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll have all kinds of fun tricks and treats uh, planned. So um, we'll be back. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. Ah! Goodbye. (laughs) What have I got? What have I got? What have I got? Oh, dear. What have I got? Ah, the rats. Bye. Bye. Bye.